estrela alva brilha em mim, brilha a luz que é no Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. 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 Hoje a minha alma foi Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good morning from Rick Bonfin Ministries. I'm Betty McKinney and glad you joined us today. Um, I'm going to pick up in John chapter 19 where um, Pastor Dr. Frank Appel, Reverend Dr. Frank Appel, left off on Friday. I'm in John 19 verse 16 through 18. So he, meaning Pilate, then delivered him to them to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. When I read this, I can picture so vividly because I've been there many times in Israel this place of the skull um, it's outside the Damascus gate of Jerusalem as you exit the Damascus gate Randall you've been there recently if Matt was here with us this morning we were just there in March and because of the COVID thing um, Jerusalem was pretty much closed down and we had the place to ourselves it was the, one, the first time I've been there that it wasn't just full of people but we were able to be there and just look at that place of the skull. Um, General Gordon of Great Britain discovered this place in the 1800s and saw how this hill just so much resembled a skull. And in the last hundred years or so, some of the nose, some of it has eroded, but you still, it still very much looks like a skull. And so as I say, I can picture it so vividly that this was, as you left Jerusalem through the, the Damascus Gate, it was the road to Damascus. And it intersected with the road to Jaffa, which is the most busy intersection going out of Jerusalem. And that's exactly where the Romans wanted to crucify criminals 
especially those who were in risk of insurrection, inciting insurrection against Rome to demonstrate how quickly they would quash in any kind of insurrection. So right there, not on a hill far away, <laughs> like this, you know, not on a peaceful hill far away, but right there at that intersection. <laughs> I can hear myself talking over there. And, um, you know, I've, I had a real personal encounter. I, I always do when I go there. But it used to be when I would go visit that place, I would get so agitated and upset because the Palestinians have a major bus station right there at the base of the, the skull. And I think, how can you do this? How can you put this, all this smoke and all this clamoring and engines and people here in this holy place where Jesus died? And then it was like, hello, duh, Betty. This is exactly how it was when Jesus died. It just, just trade camels and donkeys for buses. But it was, man, you know, excrement of donkeys and camels and snorting and hoofs and dust and people and people hawking their wares and commerce going on. Jesus died in the midst of his enemies. So having that bus station there is precisely the environment that needs to be there as we go and visit that holy place and then realize at the same time Jesus was right in the midst. It says in between, in the midst. That's where he died, in the midst of his enemies. So um, just to kind of mine out just a little bit more, let's go to the parallel passage in Luke 23, starting with verse 33. I'll give you a second to find it. It says, verse 33, And when they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on. And when it says the people, it's a mob. It's a crowd. Just like the bus station. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. So he's being scorned. They're yelling at him. And he's right there. He isn't on a hill far away. Remember? He's, he's right there where they can sneer right in his face. And the soldiers mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine. So he's right at, right at level if they can offer him something. That's why I want you to get this picture out of your mind that he's off in this tranquil place, dying quietly on a hill. He was in the midst of the most evil intent coming right into his face, even as he's going through this tremendous suffering. They were saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was an inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews, which we'll get to in a minute. And one of the criminals who were hanging there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus. Now, he wasn't just saying to, to die. You know how you die when you from crucifixion. You die from suffocation. 
And what they would do is they'd hang them on the cross and their bodies would hang. Then they would push themselves up to take a breath and then sag back down. So as they're having this conversation, it isn't a conversation. It's a, I, I don't even want to try to diminish it by reenacting it, but can you get the picture? He would say, Lord, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom, gasping for every breath, for every syllable. And here Jesus, he himself has to push himself up to speak back to the criminal and say, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Did you get the picture? <laughs> yeah. This is, so here's my, my favorite and famous Haley's um, Bible commentary. Just a couple comments about this. The legs of the robbers were broken to hasten death, which otherwise might not have occurred for four or five days. That's how long some crucifixions took, four or five days. So they would break the legs so they could no longer push themselves up and breathe, and then they would die of suffocation. That's why they broke the legs. You understand that whole process. Some people would hang there for four or five days. Um, on the other hand, Jesus died in about six hours. <laughs> but let me read another thing about um, out of Haley's here. Both robbers at first joined in the mockery, but one changed his mind. And in one respect, he put the disciples to shame. For two years or more, Jesus had tried so hard to teach them that his kingdom was not to be a kingdom of this world. Now he was dying. To them, that was the end of the kingdom. No thought that he would come to life again to reign in glory. But to the robber, not so. Perhaps from the outskirts of a crowd, he had heard Jesus talk of his kingdom. And though Jesus was now dying, the robber came to believe that he had a kingdom beyond the grave. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In some ways, he was more in tune with than the disciples. <laughs> um, amazing. A robber understood Jesus better than Jesus' own intimate friends. Blessed Jesus. <laughs> he surely loves sinners. As he returned to God, he bore in his arms the soul of a robber, first fruits of his mission to redeem a world. So how could some men like this hang on a cross for five or six days, but Jesus only six hours? Well, the secret to that to me, we find in 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24, which I can quote, but I still think I better look it up so I say it correctly. Sorry, my page is sticking together. Okay. 1 Peter 2.24, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. This is no little phrase here. 
he bore our sins in his body. And if you've heard me teach for very long, you've already heard me ask this question many times. How do you feel when you sin? Do you feel a weight? Do you feel a heaviness? Okay, that's just one bad sin, right? (laughs) You walk around and you just say, oh, I wish I I feel so weighty, weighed down, right? In his human body, our Lord bore that feeling, that oppression, that weight of sin. Every sin, every transgression, every iniquity, as well as every sickness and disease and curse of every human being that ever has lived or will live on this earth in his body. And I've asked people smarter than me, how many people have lived on this earth that did Jesus die for? Because the cross works backwards and forwards. So of all the people who ever lived from Adam until the last person, and one person smart, much smarter than me estimated about 120 billion The sin, the iniquity, the transgression, the wickedness, the sickness, the curse of 120 billion people in his own body. No wonder he died in six hours. (laughs) It would seem like it would be more like 30 minutes. So you might think, oh, you only hung on the cross for six hours, Jesus. But it was an eternity for him. It was the weight of all 120 billion and the curse of creation because he died to buy back all of creation that was sold when Adam sold the farm. So all of that came in this little phrase in First Peter, in his body. <laughs> all right, so let's, let's go a couple, few, more, few more verses. We're back to John 19. Verse 19, And Pilate wrote an inscription also, and put it on the cross. And it was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Though intended as sarcasm, this was the truth. He was Jesus the Nazarene, and he was the king of the Jews. So it was intended as sarcasm, but it was truth. And if it was truth, then it's engineered by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Verse 20, Therefore this inscription many of the Jews read, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So it was written, the inscription, which was a common thing for them to do, to put the name and the crime of the person who was being crucified above them, an inscription. Just, again, so people walking by could see, oh, this person was an enemy of Rome in this way, and this person was a transgressor in that way, and they could mock them, they could scorn them, they could condemn them for their crime. But he had it written in, in Hebrew or Jewish Aramaic, which was the language of the Jews of Jesus' time. He had it written in Latin, which was the language of Rome, and he had it written in Greek, which was the common language of the whole empire. What is this? To say the truth, to say the truth, engineered by the Holy Spirit, in the languages of all the people that would pass by, Jews, Romans, Greeks. Revelation 19.10, the testimony 
Everybody can say this with me. The testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. Pilate didn't know it, but he was testifying to who Jesus is to the Jews, to Rome, and to the entire world. Pilate was doing this. He was prophesying. (laughs) And verse 21, And so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. (laughs) So my conclusion of this, of what Pilate did here, as I was meditating on this and looking at this, not my conclusion, but maybe I would say my, my prayer, my desire these days would, that, would be that God would do something similar with leaders today as he did with Pilate. That God would choose some people in power in our nation, maybe a representative, Maybe a senator, maybe a speaker of the house, maybe a a governor, maybe a leader of an organized movement out there that's on the news every day. He would choose some of them to give revelation of who Jesus is, to give testimony, to prophesy, just as he used Pilate. If he used Pilate to do this, could he not choose one of those people who is an agent of a brutal government to testify of Jesus and therefore be moving in the spirit of prophecy? Could God not do that? Can, can we agree? Would you want to join me in that prayer? Because I would like to pray. I would like to literally pray for that right now. Okay. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord God, in these days, as we're watching month after month, So many grievous things going on in our nation and in the world. Lord, we're tempted to just have feelings of anger and resentment and criticism, disdain, fear towards many. We just feel disdain as we watch people and hear what they have to say. So many, Lord, are are lost and in darkness. And as your word says in 2 Corinthians, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. But Lord, I ask you this morning, I ask you sincerely to open blind eyes. Open blind eyes, especially eyes of leaders, leaders of our government, leaders of of movements that are having such a voice today in the media. Open blind eyes. Give them revelation. Lord, I'm asking you, I I know this is scriptural somewhere, I think it's in Deuteronomy, I'm asking you for treasures out of the darkness. Bring forth treasures out of the darkness, Lord. Raise up voices out of liberal left godless camps. to testify and prophesy and to speak truth the way Pilate spoke truth. Bring revival, Lord, out of these dark times in America and the world. I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Pilate knew in his heart that Jesus had been falsely charged. 
and that the Jews had actually used him to carry out their evil agenda, right? So we don't know his place, Pilate. We've been talking about this. We don't know his place in eternity, his heart, whether God had mercy upon him because he did have a tender heart towards Jesus. I pray God would have mercy on him. And again, like I said, it just I I pray I'm God is beginning to stir in me a new prayer that God would have mercy on our leaders who are being so pressed and led astray by evil. The same way Pilate was. Amen. So I hope this won't be just like a one-time prayer, but maybe we would continue to join in this, that we would begin to pray for our enemies, pray for those who have been so blinded and led astray, and may God have mercy on them. Amen. Okay, we're going to switch gears here. Um, We have, it's a celebration day, because we are sending off Kathy Fallon back to Brazil. Come on up, Kathy. She's going back for nine months. You need to pick up the microphone there. Nine months. So do you have any parting words for our people? Yes, I got it. I was going to plug it this one. Oh, I got that one. Wait, that one. <laughs> yeah. Yes, there we go. Um, I got to see some of y'all on Thursday, and this has been, like I said, probably one of the best five months I've ever had walking with the Lord. <laughs> and it's been... Wonderful getting to know some of y'all better. Some of y'all I've met in Brazil one or two times, but it's a whole other thing when you get to see people on a more regular basis to yeah. get to know them. So. Yeah. All right. And then um, probably most of you know, but maybe some of you don't, Randall Cup has been with our ministry for, when did you first go to Cuba with us, Randall? Come on. 2014. So we met him in Cuba. Pastor David Ford brought you along, didn't he, to yeah. Cuba? Yeah. And um, then quickly tell us what happened after that. Well, uh, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit on my birthday. (laughs) Started seriously hating my career for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) Went to Brazil in summer of 2014 with Rick, and that frustration with my life grew more. I went back to Cuba in 2015, and I was wrestling with God about a call to ministry, and Rick gets up in front of our whole group and says, some of you have a call to ministry, and you're ignoring it. Get up here for prayer. <laughs> and so my head said no, my heart said yes, and I went up and people ratified it. So I'm finishing up seminary, and yeah. now the real education begins in Brazil. Yeah. yeah. Randall's going to go for six months and assist um, as Celio, our beloved Celio, is retiring. He can't seem to retire. He keeps on. He was supposed to retire in July, but he's still. Years ago. Yeah, he keeps on going. But hopefully now Celio actually can go and just be with his grandchildren because Randall will be there to assist Felipe and Pastor Alanir and assist Kathy, whatever she needs with her the children's program. So we're just blessed to have Randall going to Brazil. Also to be Kathy's bodyguard. Yeah, <laughs> So we would like to have a send-off prayer for you this morning, okay? So would you all join us as we, as we pray for Kathy and Randall. God, I just thank you for these two servants. Thank you that they're willing to leave everything behind and everyone behind and go to Brazil, especially in these days where everything is so uncertain. They go by faith. They go the same way Abraham went. And Lord, even though the mission and everything is familiar to Kathy, It's a whole new time, and you have before her all new experiences. So I pray that you just keep growing her and expanding her to be able to, Lord, be in step with you 
not to just do things the same way, but be in step with you, to see her way through the problems, to create out of nothing, to, to just live by faith every moment. And I just pray your protection and your guidance over her, your wisdom, and that you will empower your servant, Lord, to have more and more breakthrough to reach the people of the hills around of Santa Barbara and the children and the families. In Jesus' name. Lord, we just pray for your servant, Randall, Lord, that he would have a confidence in his heart that he's in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, and he will get up every morning, and you will put before him things to do, and he will work, and he will sweat, and at the end of the day, he will feel so fulfilled and full of joy that he has done real work for your kingdom, that he will just feel a deep sense of fulfillment that he hasn't felt in the longest time. So we just ask you to fill him up because he's been pouring himself out, sucked dry in seminary. And I ask you to just fill his cup and fill his cup and fill it and fill it and fill it again to overflowing. As he pours himself out in Brazil, may the flood just fill him up and fill him up inside. And he's going to come home with a sense of direction and purpose. And out of the overflow, he will move into the next thing you have for him. And I prophesy that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow. Brilha a luz que anunda o meu viver